This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Place is amazing, y'all. They're really making movies about every superhero. And it's time they make one about me. Come on. Jade Wilson's soundstage must be around here somewhere. Hey, I'm Stanley doing my subtle cameo. Excuse me, Mr. Stan. This is a DC movie? Oh, gee, I gotta get out of here. You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. You like the Drake? I love the Drake. What about the Drake? Oh, screw the Drake. I love the Drake. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third boy to wear the mantle of Robin, Tim Drake, through the 90s and 2000s Robin series, Red Robin, Young Justice, and Teen Titans. And from time to time, taking a look at the modern era of Tim Drake in the pages of DC Comics, while also talking about other Robin and Batman happenings in the world. So sit back and relax and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello everyone, welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers. Welcome to episode 84. This show is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. And if you can't get enough Batman, check out Batman on Films, a sister thing to Batman on Film, Ryan? Uh, kind of. Yeah. Uh, check out BatmanPodcastNetwork.com for all of the other shows that you can find and of course robin everyone loves the drake is there um holy batcast is there and a whole plethora of other shows as well between the two podcast networks you can get a hold of us on all the social media outlets on facebook twitter we're on there at eltd podcast we're on instagram facebook and you can email into the show at robin eltd podcast at yahoo.com also on youtube and if you listen to the show on itunes uh send a little uh nice little review for uh, itunes there to help us get into to the interwebs uh, when people are searching for a show. A nice little five-star would be great if you do so, and we'll read your uh, review on the show. And we've already heard his voice. I'm Rob, and with me is Ryan. How are you doing this evening, Ryan? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm excited to talk about some, some Robin, some Tim Drake, and some Batman stuff. Uh, we got a little gladiator-ish show with uh, Robin and a lion and... <laughs> Uh, well, kind of, <laughs> kind of. This is another of. one of the. Yeah, we'll get into it. We'll yeah. get into it. 
but uh, before we get into our topic of Robin 19 and 20, and this is not DC Comics related, but I felt like this was a a sad note that hit every comic book fan that we lost uh, Stan Lee uh, this week. Um, yeah. And it's, it's one of those that I know people are sad about it, but I'm looking at it and going... 95 years old and what what a rich life of something that he helped create and usher in that is going <laughs> to that has lived along probably farther than the stand it'll outlive all of us yeah, outlive <laughs> you know? all of us and probably that stan thought initially like okay this is probably only going to be that for for a time this was just a job you know he was going to quit drawing or drawing excuse me writing comics until his wife kind of said why don't you just do one for yourself you know if they fire you you were going to leave it anyway and so he creates the fantastic four and that just launches a million ships uh for marvel so what what a cool legacy that he has and i've i'm sure you've seen a bunch of memes and you know different little things probably uh oh, yeah. one that i liked was the finger snap from Thanos and seeing, you know, <laughs> yeah. sand disintegrate. But the one that kind of got me was uh, a caption put above uh, Thanos that said, if I had known snapping my fingers was going to take you away, I wouldn't have snapped my fingers or, or something along those lines. And uh, then another one that says, you know, thank you for the world. Thank you for the universe that we so happily live in. And I had put on uh, Facebook, my, my first introduction to Stan Lee was uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends and uh, hearing his yeah. hearing him say for the very first time, you know, true believer, Excelsior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, the, I never read it in the comics until I heard him say it was uh, with great power comes great responsibility. And then, you know, I would later on read that. But I first heard those words spoken by Stan Lee and the Spider-Man is amazing friends. So my favorite Marvel characters will always be Spider-Man, Firestar, and Iceman. And I didn't know Iceman was an X-Men until, you know, that TV, <laughs> until that cartoon show. And I was like, oh, he's an X-Man, which I thought yeah. made uh, Iceman even cooler that he was an X-Man. Then I was disappointed. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> then I was disappointed <laughs> to know that Starfire wasn't a real character till. Uh, till 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 much later. Cause I was, what? That's like being like that's like being like oh man, Marvin and the Wonder Dog, or, <laughs> right. or like oh, the Wonder tw- the Wonder Twins. Man, I love them. I thought what a cool pairing that you know Firestar <laughs> and then Iceman. You know, Fire and Ice. How cool is yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. You know? So I I I have very fond memories of that show and just hearing his voice and like we were talking about in the letters column. Uh, in this issue, like being very personable, when you would read Stan Lee's letter columns, you felt like he's talking to Ryan Haas, he's talking to Rob Myers. Yeah. So, did you have a, a any of Stan Lee thoughts or memories? I mean, yeah. I mean, he's basically the the godfather of like the modern, yeah. our modern geek culture. Really, I mean, when you look at it, just the way that Marvel exploded with Fantastic Four and just kind of giving a lot of the heroes like this, this kind of personal anchor you know the giving heroes you know human problems and stuff and just seeing how that just dovetails into this larger marvel universe i mean it's it's just it's crazy when you see like the impact it's had on the industry and on our modern mythology i mean it's just 
it's it's too much to kind of quantify. You know how many just think about how many people's lives that that dude has has touched because of that. So it's I mean it's a loss, but yeah, I mean ninety five that's a huge life and yeah. a huge influence. Um, I was going to ask, did you ever get to see him or meet him at a convention yeah. or anything? Uh, the I saw him twice and. Uh, walked by him in the hallway and said, "Hi, Stan." He said, "Hello, sir, Excelsior," which I thought was, which, <laughs> which I thought was so cool. Um, it was at, uh, twice at uh, Ohio uh, Comic Con Expo, and my wife absolutely ate that panel up with him. And he was did a little, you know, poking fun at DC, and you know, he's like, you know, oh yeah, my character's always practical. How is Thor going to fly? Well, he's going to whip the hammer around and. That that propels him, and that just made like perfect sense to my wife, you know. Like, of course, so she like instantly became a Marvel fan. She wants to get a uh, a flag that you would have for like you know Ohio State, Michigan, a house divided. She wants a Marvel DC, uh, you know, flag. Oh man! But uh, yeah, it, just hearing all the the cool stories that he would tell, and him talking to Bob Kane, and just you know, oh, that's always been the interesting yeah. thing is like he. Uh, how you know Bob Kane and Stanley, you know, personally knew each other and hung out together, yeah. you know. And there's not a whole heck of a lot of Bob Kane, like legitimate Bob Kane interviews, you know. But like to hear Stanley, there's a lot of there's a, quite a few times where you could hear Stanley talking about Bob yeah. Kane, and it's always fun because it seemed like they poked a lot of fun at each other, like. Bob Kane being like, "Oh, I got Batman up on the big screen. When Spider Man going to?" And then I remember like. Stan was like his only. Re- he said his only regret when the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie came out was that, you know, Bob Kane wasn't around to see it because yeah. it was so successful. So I mean, that kind of stuff's funny. Yeah. But um. But yeah, I got I I got to see Stanley once, just a couple of years ago. Actually, um, we went to D twenty three Expo in twenty fifteen, oh, nice. and we got the um, you know, Ter- Terrence is going to know what this is. Like we got, we got the, the sorcerer tickets. Oh, okay. So that lets you get, um, like basically in like the front row of everything, even the giant like panels. And so, um, so we got to be like in the very front row for like the, uh, like the Disney parks panel. And they were doing this, they were doing this presentation, like talking about this, like, um, Iron Man, Iron Man experience ride that was going to be in like Hong Kong Disneyland, and they had like Iron Man fly down, and then um, then then somebody comes on with a loudspeaker that's like, "I thought you said this ride was for me," and then I just and I look over to my right, and there Stan Lee is like literally like one row right next to me, and he's like, you know, I could have reached out and <laughs> grabbed him, and I'm like, and I was just thinking to myself like, how long has he been there? When I was I sitting like this close to Stan Lee the whole time, and I never noticed. And like Stanley was just sitting there in the audience and then they had this bit where they, where he's like, you know, after he says that he like comes up on st- and he was so spry, even though he was just, mm-hmm. that was just a couple of years ago. He just, he got right up, he got up on the stage and he started talking to Spider-Man and he did, he had this whole bit about like how he thought the ride was for him and he wanted to call it the Stanley experience or something like that. And it was just a really fun, like little jokey kind of thing he did. But, you know, I took a bunch of pictures of it and you can see those on the, they're not great, but it's just as close as we were, we were in the front row. So I got to take some fun pictures of, you know, Iron Man interacting with Stan Lee That's up cool. on stage. And, um, there's a few pictures of that. You can see up on the, uh, BOF Instagram. I, I just posted a couple of days ago. Cool. Yeah. I just kind of wanted to, didn't want this episode to go by without saying that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll have to uh, review those. Um, Stan Lee imagine like just imagine 
books. Yeah, and I did not realize that there was a Robin one. I knew that I didn't I knew either. There was a Batman one, but I didn't realize there was a Robin. So we have to track those down. Yeah. Well, lucky for me, I have the entire Just Imagine DC Comics by Stanley Omnibus, which Excellent. I haven't seen if that Robin story is in it, but I, I assume that That's it is. Be. It's got to be because it's a giant omnibus. Yeah. I that was one of the lucky. Um, pickups i got from the ollie's run <laughs> a few months you ago know, i saw yeah. that and i th- i thought about it i had it in my hand i'm like well i i don't know for what it was it was so cheap yeah, for what it was it was like six bucks for like 80 dollar 100 dollar yeah. book or something like that so yeah. that'll be fun to look at like if we go and look at those books yeah, that'd, be, that'd be kind of fun to, to do yeah so at this moment right here we're going to take a, a little moment of silence for the uh, late great stanley thanks stan All right, and now our featured topic before we get into Robin 19 and Robin 20 was this a little Blu-ray. If people still buy Blu-rays now, which maybe we can get to that in a second. Um, Batman the Animated Series. So anybody that's a fan of Batman, you have to be a fan of Batman the Animated Series or you have to turn in your Batman card. The yeah. the Blu-ray finally, finally, I felt like... Like at one point when they made the announcement, I had said, I feel like this is five years too late, but at the same time, I'm really glad that it's here. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'd seen a couple of the episodes on the DC Universe app. I thought, oh, they look, you know, look really good. But I feel dumb saying this. I feel like the Blu-rays look better than they do on my on my TV for some reason. I Maybe the connection's bad or whatever, but these things look no Amazing. Blu-rays di- discs. Discs are always still going to look better than than digital than streaming. Yeah, just because the the bit rate's faster. I mean, you don't have any compression, you know. So that so yeah, discs discs are going to look better. Uh, but the the package in this is great. I don't know. Uh, I'll I'll give you uh, my experience. I think I even talked about it on uh, Facebook. I ordered mine through Amazon, and I felt like they mailed this in a washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, the box is uh, the outer shell is all chewed up, and I did, you know, kind. Con- they put it in like one of those, just a bubble mailer. It's, it's a, the yeah, big it's a bubble. bubble mailer. Yeah, no extra yeah. padding on it at all. And I actually called Amazon. I was kind of hot under the collar about it, and they gave me fifteen bucks credit and credited my Amazon Prime for three months. And I'm like, oh, all right. But I heard how some- how how bad how bad of shape was it in? It it's not bad. The bottom right corner. On the back, right where it says limited edition, which kind of cheesed me off. And my wife's like, are you going to save the outer shell of this thing? I'm like, well, yes. yes. But, <laughs> I mean, it, the inner, the it was it's packed very well on the inside. If you don't have this thing, there's like an outer uh, box that the uh, little mini Funko Pops uh, come in. And then the actual contents is on the inside. But uh, the whole underside is kind of like, some, it looks like somebody just punched the bottom of it. And uh, one side's kind of uh, crushed in, so I thought, great. You know, there's discs in here and lenticular pictures and stuff, but everything, the the actual product itself was just fine. If, if that would have been dinged up. But they said, well, we can replace it for you, if you like, if you send it back to us. And I was like, mm. <laughs> I, I, 
can you guarantee me that you're still like this is a limited edition? That's I said, but the whole thing of this is mm-hmm. said so the time it's going to take you to send it for me to send it back to you and you send me another one. It, you're going to be sold out if you're not sold out already, and they in fact are sold out. So, oh, really? Did they finally get sold, sold yeah, out? Finally got sold out. So I I decided to, to keep the keep what I had because everything plays fine. You know the the actual case that the the discs are in and everything is is fine. It's just the outer flimsy cardboard thing. But still, it's like it's a collector. You know, I want to have the whole thing packaged on a shelf, and I don't even have this box in there just because it's it's all beat to hell. But other than other than that, um, I'm very very pleased with it. I think some people have talked about it, but I guess I would have, I could have done without the little mini Funko Pops. I, I've got uh, pops yeah. of of some or all of these. Maybe a DC collectibles figure of somebody like that they haven't made, or maybe if you didn't want to buy the Batcave, maybe Alfred could have been in there, or or nothing at all. But I'm like, that's that wasn't a, a big selling point for me. The the obvious reason was getting the actual animated episodes. And then you getting the digital codes. I put those in to have on my phone or whatever. And I'm like, these are just the standard, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, version. Yeah. And then I got an email, you know, I think a week later that you got the HD version of all those. And then yeah. they also threw in. So the email is like, we talked to Warner Brothers and we also are throwing in uh, Mask of the Phantasm and Sub Zero. Yeah. And I'm like, that should have been in there already. But, you know, I was glad, yeah. I was glad to have it. So uh, I, where did you get yours from? I got mine from Amazon as well, and I was, you know, far luckier than most people. I mean, it seems like you you had a not great experience, and I've seen some people like uh, like poor Zaki Hassan. Uh, he, I, he posted a picture of his on on, tw- on Twitter, and it was just so crumpled and mangled. Um, I'm, See, I'm pretty sure he got a replacement, but man, yeah. it was in bad shape, and it, everybody had the same story. Like they just threw it in a bubble mailer and just tossed it in the you know in the mail truck and expected that was going to protect this thing and it did not, did not do that <laughs> i was actually gonna i took a picture of mine i'm like oh, i'm gonna tweet this out and then i saw zackies and i went you know what mine is not <laughs> <laughs> mine is not near as bad i mean yeah yeah it's it's dinged up but i, I mean, saw some it. of them looked like somebody just took it outside and just punched it right in the gut and it just uh yeah but like i think i think Mine was in the same crappy bubble mailer, but I had ordered another Blu-ray. I had the there is a brand for all you Mario Brothers movie nerds out there. <laughs> there is a uh, a brand new version of uh, DOA with uh, Dennis Quaid in it, and that's uh, for those of you that are not in the know. That is the first uh, movie directed by Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jenkel. That um, oh. who, which is the, the are the directors of Super Mario Brothers, and there was a brand new. Blu-ray that came out of that that has like you know a new I think it's a new transfer and it's got commentary tracks and stuff like that so I was really curious and interested in that and it came out on the same day as the Batman set so uh, so those got shipped together and I think maybe the fact that I had two items in the bubble mailer <laughs> increased the thickness just enough to not completely damage it um, I just have a little bitty bitty little crumple in the in the back corner and it's like i didn't even notice it was there until other people started saying how awful shape their their sets were in so i'm like okay i think i got off pretty pretty well on this but um the set's really nice i mean i uh, uh, i i wrote a really detailed review of it you can read too over on batman on film and it's basically like a um a written unboxing Mm -hmm. type of type of article i go through what it looks like what it 
you know, I, I, I gave every detail other than what it smells like, basically. I mean, <laughs> just go for like, this is what it looks like. Here's all the stuff you get. And I, I agreed about the Funko Pops. I'm sorry, Terrence. Terrence isn't with us right now. And we know Terrence is like, the, I think he'd swim in a kiddie pool full of Funko Pops. Yeah. Could. yeah. He might even have one if he's not that he's not telling us about. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm not a huge fan of those um, just because it's it, they're just not my thing. But you know, having them in the set is, is kind of a cool bonus. Yeah, yeah. It's not a selling point, but it's cool. Um, I've seen worse, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I, the bonus thing I liked, the, the, the physical bonus thing I liked the most was, um, those lenticular cards. Those are so friggin'. Those awesome. were so cool. Like in the, in my review, I described it as like, it's like an oversized version of, uh, like a box of a, out of a it's an oversized version of a prize you would get like in a cereal box as a kid. Yes, uh, it comes crossed with like a, like a Viewmaster, like a 3D Viewmaster kind of thing, and, and it's just like a big oversized screenshot of like an animated series artwork, but it's lenticular, so it's 3D, so you can kind of like move it back and forth and look at the scene, and they and you get like what like seven or eight of them or something like that. Yeah, I think it's seven. Yeah, and so those are really cool. Um. And yeah, and the 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 series itself. I mean, they just look so good on you know on Blu-ray remastered and everything. And they didn't go too far like some some other movies that have been remastered by certain other places have <laughs> come out and 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 they've been like really like too overprocessed and a lot of the detail gets lost. But uh, but in these, I think that they've done a really good job of like cleaning it up, but not but still maintaining like the integrity of like yeah. the artwork, and I think it just looks really spectacular. Um, and the there's that brand new and all the bonus features on the di- this is something else I was a little I thought they could have done more with all the bonus features on the set are exactly the same as the as the DVD set ex- yeah. sets except for the brand new documentary, and it's like an hour and a half or something. Um, and it was really well done. Have you watched that? Yeah, that that was the first thing I watched. And I, I wasn't paying attention to how long it was. I didn't even read. I just plopped it right in. Yeah. And I was pleasantly surprised how mm-hmm. long. I was thinking, okay, they're going to put this half-hour documentary together. And I was yeah. surprised. Yeah, you don't how, get those a whole lot nowadays. No. You, they're usually like, what, 10, 10, 15 minutes if you're lucky. But this yeah. was like a full-on hour and a half and it was like good content like good behind the scenes stories and artwork and footage and you know the conception of the show and the reaction like it it made me like i always remembered like the show was part it was right in the middle of this animation renaissance from warner brothers but Mm -hmm. but this documentary reinforced like both how much of a right place at the right time thing it was for all the people creative people involved and just how seat of your pants it was, how like all they, they were like the perfect people to do the show, you know, like Paul Dini and Bruce Tim and all these people, but like, and they were equipped to do it and they were very talented, but just the fact that they had all this other stuff going on around them that enabled them to, to make the show the way they wanted it to, you know, with their executive, with Gene McCurdy in the background, just letting them kind of just make it, it. make it what they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so fantastic like that. And then the, Tim Burton movies just making it popular enough to be like, okay, well we have to do Batman and and um the fact that they had done Tiny Toons a couple years or a year before, like already put the put it in the position of Warner Brothers to be like, okay, we can do this internally and and the fact that, that for Tiny Toons 
just because Steven Spielberg wanted a full <laughs> orchestra to do the the, the soundtrack, they yeah. had orchestra stuff going on. And so they're like, okay, well, since we have a full orchestra for Tiny Toons, that's what the studio does. So now we can use a full orchestra for Batman. So all these little pieces, it's just fascinating the way that the documentary frames this because you can kind of see the wheels turning, like all these little pieces come together at the right place at the right time to make a series that is nothing but definitive like for the character. Yeah. And it's just such a fascinating, fun thing to watch, especially when you're as big a fan of Batman and Batman, the animated series as we are. Oh yeah. I wasn't even aware of the, like how much the show kind of rested on the success of tiny tunes. If tiny tunes hadn't done very well. And if that would have mm-hmm. tanked early That's on, That's what I was saying. Yeah. yeah. I was just, I had had no previous knowledge of that beforehand. And then just like you said, with the orchestra and all these little things like, well, we got this space and you could see that, you know, when they were in there, like rat infested or termite where I forget what they said, roach infested <laughs> office that they were doing all this stuff. in is that that's when they were yeah. at the hype of all they're creating and yeah. you know, just pr- producing all this stuff. And they said, you know, they had to kind of grow up, you know, when they had to move to a, <laughs> a new office. And yeah, um, I wouldn't like, like, you know, uh, you know, Eric Rodomsky and Bruce Tim, they were like first time producers, like ever. They were just like, how do we do this? Art, they were production, <laughs> they were production artists on tiny tunes. And then they just gave Gene McCurdy, like, here's some, here's some ideas. Bruce Tim's got some character designs and, Eric Rodomsky has some background designs. What do you think? Oh, that looks good. Why don't you be the producers and showrunners on this? And they're like, uh, what? <laughs> and just to see see how that came together was just really magical because of how good the show is. Yeah, you could just tell that they... And then the casting and the voice oh. actors, like, they, all, see, all those layers just kind of keep adding up to just such a great show. You know, here we are, what, 20, 20 plus years, almost probably approaching closer to 30 years later that this show has been out and it still holds up the first episode i watched um i don't know if you have yeah have you watched much yet i put in robin's reckoning i've just uh i haven't done that, that yet i really want to do that i've um i watched the documentary and then i watched just a little bit of clips from yeah. you know a, a sprinkling of episodes to kind of look at the overall quality but but uh yeah i watched um on leather wings already up for sure and you know that was that I made that Nora's first um f- you know full episode of Batman yeah, that nice. she watched and she every time Batman was on the screen she was like Batman Batman <laughs> and uh and even when we were watching the documentary it was crazy she was watching the documentary with me too she was just playing you know while I was watching it and then every time they would have like it didn't matter if it was a you know a storyboard or a action figure or a piece of production art or whatever if it had batman on it every time batman was on the screen in that documentary she would be like batman batman like she she couldn't believe he was on actually on the tv so um so that was that was a lot of fun too the picture quality and the sound and everything just looks so good on the blu-ray i put in a couple of the uh new batman adventures um growing Mm -hmm. pains and old wounds i watched both of those when i thought okay that's a little farther into the run those i always thought those looked you know, better than the animated series just because, you know, more time had gone by. But those even look, you know, very cool. Yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure they do. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, those already that's that animation style was already kind of I'm not going to say more sophisticated, but it, it's it's e- easier to animate. So it's yeah. it's more, easier to look cleaner, you know, um, I didn't but, know. Uh, 
um, I don't remember if this you had mentioned this in your article or not. That I was always, you know, I've got the four original. Like, oh, this is season one. This is season two, mm-hmm. and they don't break it down that way in the uh, this new release. They're, the they they kind of do. Have you seen? Like, if you look at the pages in the booklet, it says like disc two, season one. Yeah, but what I, what I'm saying from this, there are less seasons that they catalog as opposed to the others that I feel like the other four is saying like, okay, we have four seasons of the Batman animated series. They're saying that they have three seasons of the animated series instead of breaking it up between the Batman and Robin adventures. Yeah. Because they, um, for the four volume, they called it volumes in the DVD sets instead of like seasons. Yeah. Cause I think one, like one of the seasons, the longer ones I think gets like, yeah, I think like what well, the new Batman and Robin, adventures, that one kind of gets split in half. So they can like yeah. break up the episodes into four things, and then and then for the new Batman adventures, they just they just gave it its own box set. So yeah, they took three volumes of the DVD sets to uh, to cover t- what two seasons? Yeah, something like so, that. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I I guess I never really had paid or attention three. to that. I guess I just took. I took it for granted that each one of those was a season instead of a volume. So when I was flipping through, I was yeah. going, "Hey, I'm I'm missing a season here." Then I started looking at the <laughs> at the episode list, and I'm like, "Oh, I see how they got it." So I wasn't as sophisticated in my you know uh, season knowledge, but yeah, it's just a fantastic package. If you haven't got it, the I think the deluxe version is gone from Amazon, but I think through Walmart you can get like the standard Blu-ray. They're gonna, yeah, they're without- going to make a standard version without the the extras. Yeah. Yeah. But still, I think that'll that would I'd be satisfied just with that. But if you can get a hold of the uh, a deluxe version, uh, to it's worth every dime. Uh, Merry Christmas to yourself. I mean, why Basically. not? Basically, you know, Happy Thanksgiving <laughs> to yourself. Do yourself a favor, pick it up if you haven't already. But if you like the series as much as we have, I'm sure that you already have it in your collection. Speaking of collections, one of our last little things. Ryan and I've been and Terrence have been talking about Norm Brayfogle um, for the last you know little bit since his passing. And uh, I was in a comic shop uh, last weekend, and I saw an Eagle Moss, which we had talked about it, that I had thought I had the Eagle Moss, uh, I used to call it a statue, but uh, automobilia is what the uh, line is called, of of his car. And it comes with a nice little booklet, and I didn't. I have the Redbird, and I have uh, which essentially is the Superpowers uh, Batmobile from the uh, Super Friends. And uh, I thought, oh, I don't have that one. I went to a comic book shop recently, and I did pick up uh, the Norm Brayfogle 601. Uh, it's the issue that the, his car made the appearance in. And I sent a picture to Terrence and Ryan, and Ryan says, well, hey, I got one too. So uh, yeah. you got the uh, Bat Train. Right? Yeah, it was a different one, It would some, which is so funny because we – We've been talking about these like Eagle Moss things, and I think you can probably can can you subscribe to this? Yeah, you could subscribe if you wanted to. Yep. But it, it would be a fun thing to subscribe to. But man, I think it would add up fast in terms of like you just have a, a, a whole thing littered of with Batmobiles, which is which would be awesome, frankly, because this series, first of all, is like so cool because they just every month or whenever every time this every fortnight it says it comes out, yep. <laughs> it uh, you get you get a, a diecast model of a Batmobile, you know, and they go all the way from like the Batmobile in the movies or the most popular Batmobiles in the comics. And then they'll go and do like, so something so obscure, like, like here's the Whirly Bat from, you know, the fifties or here's, 
here's like the the Catwoman's cat car from the '60s show that was in like one episode or whatever. I mean, they do, and so it's really cool to see the variety of and detail that they put into that series. And so, like a few months ago, I was at a at a flea market, um, like antique shop, and they had they had the red bird and I was like, Oh man. And Rob, have you seen this? You're like, I bet you have it. And you're, and you were like, yeah, I have it. You should get it. <laughs> and cause I got a good, a good deal on it. Cause it was still sealed and everything. And I was like, okay, that's cool. I mean, you don't, and that's again, like they made a, a red, a red bird, like yeah. a diecast version of the red bird. You don't see that every day. And so, yeah. So when Rob got his, uh, his new Brayfogle Batmobile and texted us and I had just happened to have ordered my own other version. And yeah, I got the, um, I don't know why I was looking this up. I think I got an email from them or something. I was looking on their website and I noticed that they had one from detective Comics 667, which is the subway rocket. And you know, for all you nightfall fans and Azrael fans, like this is like, this was Azrael Batman's Batmobile basically. And like, I thought that was such a cool idea or a cool thing to have because that's something you definitely don't see very often is no. like, you know, things based specifically on you know that era when you know you had as as bats basically and it was so good it's so detailed like it um the booklet goes into like what all the functions of the car was and what the history was and then and then it had information about you know as bats and what nightfall was and things like that but it was really neat just reading about the idea behind the subway rocket they made it sound really cool and they showed like you know panels from the comic where he could go either direction in the subway and how the, the cockpit would turn around and how it originally had, and it was built by like Harold and then Jean Paul like altered it and how it had two seats. But since, you know, Jean Paul kicked Robin out of the back cave, he made it only have one seat. <laughs> so there was all these cool, like little Easter, not Easter eggs, but like just a thought into put into like what this car was. And, yeah. and of course, and that's the booklet. And of course the die cast car you get is really nice, really detailed and, you know, we just talked about how cool lenticular things are. The backgrounds on these things come in like a little plastic box, like a display box, display case. And the backgrounds are all um, lenticular. So they have like a lenticular, a 3D lenticular background. And the one on this is, of course, they've got the subway rocket on the, you know, subway tracks. And in the background, they have like like a bat cave looking thing. And they've got, you know, as as bats standing there, too. So it's like a legitimate piece of like nightfall like memorabilia so for me i thought that was just like a super cool you know thing to have so uh, mine it is, makes me want to get more oh, yeah, <laughs> more of these definitely uh my lenticular is a circus that is on fire so it's when um batman is going up against uh firefly and he's burning the circus mm. in uh nightfall even though it's listed as detective Comics 601 you can see the ferris wheels on fire the roller coasters on fire and the Batmobile is parked on a boardwalk, which oh, is nice. pretty slick. Um, I got to plug a buddy of mine's uh, YouTube channel and uh, Facebook, uh, excuse me, Facebook, Instagram page, Arkham 89, Arkham 89. Boy, I can't talk tonight. Uh, his name is Richard Nepp. He is a Batmobile aficionado collector. Any version of the Batmobile he can get his hands on, and he subscribes to all of these so you can check out his Insta oh, nice. Instagram page and all the different variations of the Batmobile not only just in the Eagle Moss but 
Jada Toys is doing some really cool Batmobiles from all of the movies. He's got a bunch of those. He's got some Star Wars vehicles um, that he's got up on his uh, Instagram page right now. Uh, Superpowers Batmobile. But you can find him at Arkham89 on YouTube uh, where he will review these and then his uh, Instagram page, which is really pretty cool. So a little plug for my buddy Richard there. So, yeah, that's kind of cool that uh, my wife goes – do you need another one of these? And I said, yes, I do. Uh, they had the, <laughs> they had the, they had a uh, red bird there. She pointed that out and she goes, you have this red one, don't you? And I said, yeah, I do. Uh, they had the Nombre Fogel, which I picked up the Damian Wayne and Dick Grayson Batmobile, uh, from Grant Morrison. And there was another one they had on the shelf. Oh, the 66 Batmobile. Yeah. Which I, I did think about picking up and I'm like, ah, I've got some different variations. I kind of want to pick up some of these, some of the more, obscure if they would have had uh, the one that you uh, had picked up i probably definitely would have picked that one up there but. yeah and it's it was still available i mean i got it because they were having some kind of like it's like a 50 percent off sale up to 50 percent off sale like for early black friday and it was it was like only 13 bucks or something so i'm like oh i'm totally getting that yeah those those are really pretty cool and uh, i think the line has been going on for about two and a half years now yeah and been doing the uh chess pieces, which I think I have almost all of the uh, Batman chess pieces. And I've kind of been intermixing some like Justice League uh, members with some other of the Batman chess pieces, which are getting kind of harder to find. I'm looking at Rachel Ghoul and uh, the Pillhead, uh, Grant Morrison, Red Hood, and Man Bat and uh, Penguin and Mr. Freezer on my uh, table as well. So those are uh, nice. sculpted very well. And I think in my uh, Redbird case, I had popped that open and I put in one of the hero clicks of uh, uh, Tim Drake. So he's standing next to his uh, Redbird. <laughs> and it's just about the right scale. So if you've got, oh, that's a, awesome. if you've got an Azrael Batman somewhere in a hero click, he, <sighs> he's just about the right scale uh, to kind of sit there. <laughs> I, but I might have to get one if, if, if such a thing exists. Yeah. We'll have to do some uh, research there. Yeah. Well, like we said at the beginning of the show, this is episode 84, and we'd like to say uh, thanks for tuning in, and uh, welcome to the show. call them babes definitely don't call them broads but can we call them birds welcome to feathers and foes a birds of prey podcast where we are celebrating the tales of the femme fatales superman flies above you aquaman rules below you but the birds stand with you feathers and foes i'm your host ashford and in the studio with me is hello black canary wait a minute what did you do with leah and mark 
Did you just call me a broad? No, I said don't call them babes. Don't call them broads. So you're saying I'm not a babe? No, yes. I don't know. I, I don't see you as some object. I see you as a well-rounded character with her own wants, desires, and agency. Stop saying buzzwords, hoping to gain a female audience. Canary, how dare you question my sincerity? That's black canary to you. Do you want me to plug your show or not? Please plug my show, Miss Canary. You can contact Ashford, Leah, or Mark on Twitter. The Twitter handle is at Feathers and Foes. You can also email them on the website feathersandfoes.libsyn.com. In addition to all of this, you may subscribe to them on iTunes. Just go to the search option and type Feathers and Foes. Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Dr. Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Adam. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort. And many, many more. Justice League International. Blah ha ha podcast. Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? All right, let's take a look at the writing credits for Robin 19 and 20 before we get to the synopsis. And they are brought to us, of course, by Mike'sAmazingWorld.com, a great resource to find out all the information you need to know or want to know about the comics you're collecting. The cover date for Robin 19 was August 1995. The on-sale date is June 6, 1995. The cover price is $1.50. The editor is Dennis J. O'Neill. The title, War Gods in the Hood. The writer is Chuck Dixon, making his first appearance as penciler as Mike Roringo. The inker is Stan Woosh. The letter is Timothy Harkins. And the colorist is Adrian Roy. Cover credits go to Mike Roringo and Terry Austin being the inker. The information for Robin 20 reads as follows. The cover date was September 1995. The on-sale date is July 4th, 1995. Cover price again is $1.50. And the editor's course, Dennis J. O'Neill, and the title is The Empire Strikes Out. And the writing credits and penciling credits and everything is exactly the same. Penciler is Mike Rowingo, and Stan Woosh is the inker on Robin 20. So let's get into the synopsis for Robin 19 and 20. I'm going to combine these together. And for the expedience of time in this episode, this episode's a little bit longer since this is going to be the only episode uh, for the month. If I can get another one out, we will try. So I'm going to use the synopsis again from uh, dcwikia.com. And here are the combined synopsis for Robin 19 and Robin 20. Robin investigates some old historical themed thieves while as Tim, he begins to repair his relationship with Ariana. The general has been released from jail and teams up with a man who believes himself to be Caesar. Robin tracks them down to the general's basement and soon finds himself quite literally thrown into a circus with a lion. Over in Robin 20, Robin calms the lion and is rescued by the general's siblings, who aren't all fond of their brother. 
he and Shotgun Smith then pursue the general as he leads the Los Bandidos against the Vandals gang. The general is brought in, but Julius Caesar escapes back to his leader, Maxi Zeus. Tim then returns home to discover Ariana in his bedroom. She is a runaway from home. All right, so like we said, this is going to be our two-comic discussion here for Robin 19 and Robin 20. And we just heard a couple promos from a couple shows there. And the synopsis that uh, I just uh, so eloquently said right there, which, you know, the time of this recording, I haven't recorded it yet. So I'm going to have to probably re-record <laughs> that like 500 times like I, like, oh, I, like I normally do. But uh, I had mentioned on Twitter... Um, I have not read these uh, since the day that these came out. And uh, I actually thought this was a Maxi Zeus story. And uh, I did too, just by looking at the cover. And I had never re- read these before. I, I was going to ask if this was your uh, first time, which uh, this is something I've been saying probably over and over again. People are probably tired of me saying it. This, as much as I've been excited to cover, you know, Tim's Origin and Nightfall and Prodigal and all these things and, you know, getting to bigger events eventually like Legacy and No Man's Land, uh, just picking up like Robin 19 and going, I know I read that back in, you know, 95 or 96 when these, when this came out. And I think I liked it. And, Reading it, I uh, read it yesterday, and then again just a little bit before we uh, got on the mic here. I I really enjoyed this, so I was kind of wanted to get your um, take on uh, these two since this was probably your uh, first read for uh, this, and we got a uh, you know of course Dixon's writing it, and we're now into the Raringo era of uh, Robin. He has a nice little run here before we get to Staz Johnson. But uh, what'd you think of uh, just your overall? Uh, uh, thoughts of uh, 19 and 20. Yeah, I was going to ask um, how long this era kind of lasts with Raringo. Uh, Raringo is gone by episode, ep- episode, geez. Issue. Uh, <laughs> it's late night, folks. Uh, 29, uh, excuse okay. me, 28 is his last issue. So he's got okay. about uh, eight, eight, eight issues. Eight or nine issues. Yeah. Yeah. So I issue 19, I've, I've, I've seen and and wondered what that was like like for a long time because um you know my buddy Matt uh this was an issue that he had in his collection and I remember just seeing it uh in his collection for you know however go to his house or whatever and and we'd look through each other's comics and stuff and I would always see this issue and wonder like oh you know I w- it just it was just stuck in my head you know it was one that I didn't have and it just looked interesting to me but I never read it <laughs> until today but i remember the cover of it like really vividly because I, you know i was like okay it's like a gladiator match or something and i thought the same thing you did too like it was this um like a maxi zeus kind of thing that's just what, what i always assumed and uh you know just reading the story it was like nothing like that like at all <laughs> and 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 like some of our other conversations about like the covers not really representing the the actual story like this doesn't really happen <laughs> in the book <laughs> at all so uh so yeah but it's in you know definitely a memorable cover obviously so it got me wanting you know interested in actually reading the, the issue and the fact that you said like it's it's a two issue thing you know you can kind of sit down you know over 45 minutes or whatever and just kind of have fun just reading reading a couple issues i mean they're very like 
fun standard Chuck Dixon like popcorn Robin issues. Really, I mean, yeah, but they're they're fun. They're a good time. And this is kind of like in the almost in the same vein of our previous uh, Robin issue we had talked about eighteen, where you know. Robin is battling a mouse in Gotham City that's tearing apart. The, you know, it's that that fun, almost yeah. palate cleansing. We've had these really serious stories for the last two or three years for Batman and Robin, and now we could kind of coming into some like fun moments. And this is almost borderline pushing towards the Young Justice side of the the Tim Drake character that will will eventually start yeah. coming out. That. If you would put Superboy and Impulse in this, this really would almost kind of feel like this could be something that happens to the Young Justice team. And I had completely forgotten that Ulysses Armstrong makes his appearance in this. And like you said, is this his second appearance? This is his second appearance. Yeah, his first. And, and his first one was right before Nightfall in Detective Comics, right? Yeah, uh, Six fifty four was his first appearance in December nineteen ninety two. That's not something that I just pulled out of my head. There's this little thing <laughs> called Wikipedia that I, you know. So it's been roughly three years yeah. since his previous appearance. Yeah. And that's how this issue starts. 19 starts with him, like, I guess, get, getting out. When, you know, it had, it's been, you know, a couple minutes since I had read this since, you know, 19 blah, 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 something ago. <laughs> and I thought, wow, Tim Drake looks really weird in the front of this. And then I by the second page, I was like, oh, that's right, the kid with the star tattoos is Ulysses Armstrong. So if you rewind the DC proper continuity clock just a few months ago, well, almost five now, Ulysses Armstrong was in a pretty big Tim Drake story. And this is not yeah. that Ulysses Armstrong. We've talked Armstrong. about him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in a yeah. lonely place of uh, living Detective Comics, James Tinian uh, run, which you haven't read that. Plug for James. Go check that out. But this is not that same character. So I was like, he's kind of got the same attitude, but right off the front of the page, if you changed Ulysses' name to Damien, this feels like Damien Wayne in some aspects. Did you get a Damien Wayne vibe out of Ulysses just in his, where he's calling his mom mother and... You know, kind what, of, yeah. Like he's like, because he's like a little general. Is like the the whole idea of it. The the overall tone though of the story, apart from a couple of choice moments, which we'll get into, I'm sure. Like the whole thing, especially in this first issue, in issue 19, it feels almost like it feels very Batman 66 esque to me. Yeah. Where where it's like it reminded me of like a King Tut episode where it's just like <laughs> kind of like goofy costumes and and kind of quirky situations and. You know, just going into places and taking them over and things like that. Um, and just people going along with it, you know, and because you, you see a lot of that in this issue and a lot of wisecracking and stuff from Robin. So that was kind of my view on it. I did, I did see Shades of Damien, but, uh, but, uh, it, but, but in a weird way, having really read the, the current version of Ulysses Armstrong, it almost feels like that. Like the one that we have right now is the real one, and then this is like a '60s inter- reinterpretation of him. Yeah. Although he he would came first, although this one came first. Right. What a really good writer does is pulls like some of the best qualities out, and I think in you know '96 I took this at at face value, but this does seem a little awkward uh, looking at it now, seeing that the version that we had earlier this year 
that James was able to pull some of those oh the 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 ego side of Ulysses mm-hmm. out that he's going to want to change the world and be a general for Cain and and all of that. So those those elements are still there, but it's not done in a like you said in a, in a sixty six cornball way. Like you know he's going up to the up to his bedroom and saying, I, I assume my, my room is un, untouched as, as I had requested. And, you know, he had booby trapped his own room that he probably would have killed his parents and his, you know, his uh, two yeah. other siblings had they done so, which is that they live in such fear that the dad is constantly wanting to, to stand, <laughs> to stand up to his son. Then like, that kind of cowers back. is like, Oh, okay. Uh, n- never mind. Uh, which I think was, was kind of funny as that kind of plays through the story and the mom is just like, Oh, my son can do no wrong. And he, he, I love everything he does, but where I really think that the mom is just scared to death uh, of her own child and what he's uh, capable of. What did you think? Now, Terrence would go on to say sometimes that a writer writing the character, how they should sound. Does, since you had said that there's like kind of like a 66 vibe, does Tim feel a little bit more like, the 66 Dick Grayson character, like he's making his quips. And at one point he says when he about gets knifed in the ankle that, you know, he's, he's trying to be too funny. And if he's not careful, he's going to be getting, you know, shish kebab and he's having to use the bow staff to kind of pull himself off towards the end. What would you think about his characterization kind of in the uh, beginning of the story? No, it fits. It's, it's, um, it's very, it's, 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 it's exactly what you would expect from, from this version of Robin, because, He's he's kind of getting back into the what he feels like is the normal groove of things. Like, you know, Alfred will be back. You know, ba- ba- he's working with Batman again. Bruce Wayne is Batman, rather. And you know, I, I think he's just kind of getting a little bit too used to his in his own skin again. And things always happen that need to kind of bring t- bring Tim Drake back to reality. So, but yeah, it seemed like. At the beginning, he was definitely like three or four pages of like jokes after jokes after, <laughs> after jokes. But that's, you know, that's what our Robin does. Yeah. There was a part here. I'm trying to find it really quick. It says, uh, here's the double threat, huh? Haney man by day, gangster by night. And the Rob, <laughs> Robin's actually kind of glad. No, not that, gangster. Hey, gangsta. Yeah, get, yeah, gangsta. And he's actually fighting some guys that just have crowbars and bats as opposed to, you know, guns <laughs> no, and Uzis, guns. which he's been going up quite a bit after a while so yeah you're right this is a robin that's just kind of like all right things are back to normal we're done with all the serious stuff and uh you know we're just a few issues away from you know one of the uh next big events that's going to be uh starting here before too long with the underworld event then contagion's not that far back beyond this you know we're looking at 19 and 20 and contagion for robin's going to be starting at issue 27 so you know, we're not mm. that far removed for, you know, things kind of getting the heat getting turned up. So I think this may be these moments where Dixon's like, you know, let's get back to some of the fun yeah. in in comics again. With uh, Ulysses going on his class trip here, uh, looking at the museum, <laughs> just kind of <laughs> this whole sequence is really kind of funny where he finds Julius Caesar, which is a, a homeless guy being escorted out. And Ulysses is kind of like and that's something that Ulysses will do that we find out later in the story that he wants, he feels a little bit more powerful having an adult almost be the scapegoat that if I have an adult kind of leading the charge here, he can kind of be the puppet master and who better to do this than a crazy homeless person that he can kind of 
blame yeah. the whole thing off on and the cops. That's another thing I could see like at working in the 60s show is like a kid villain that always needs like adult sidekick to kind of do their dirty work. Yeah. You know, I could see that working because like in the 60s show you would the all the every villain would always have like a side like a group of sidekicks or goons or something like that. So I could I could see that translating. <laughs> what I think is even funnier is when Ulysses not only decides he's going to use Caesar here for his own good, but I'm going to take him home to mom and dad. <laughs> take yeah. him home to mom and dad, and dad is kind of like, "You're what?" And then the mother's like, "Daniel says, well, charity does begin at home, I suppose." You know, he's he's wanting to flip yeah. out that his son's bringing a a homeless guy into the house, and uh, I think uh, Raringo just draws everybody very well, and the dad almost has a leave it to beaver esque type look uh <laughs> to to him just the very like again like you said like the 66 almost 50s nuclear family if you're watching titans mm-hmm. um no i got shades of that too i was i was wondering if you're going to bring that up because it reminds me a lot of the nuclear family stuff from the titans where it's like they're they're a quintessential family but then there's something very off about about it the whole thing right yeah and that dog hates everything. He's growling at everybody that comes in that house. Yeah, no wonder he, he, he almost got shish kebabbed later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have our one and only shot of Batman on page, uh, can't see my page 11, 11 which uh, Ringo does a really good Batman hit. We don't see mm-hmm. his Batman too often in uh, his run here, but it's kind of cool to see Batman and Robin working side by side uh, together. And, uh, this is kind of the coolest line from Batman is that his advice to Tim when he's going to go check out what's been going on with some of the thefts that have been going on. He says, he says, and be careful. Uh, the way I remember it, my first run in was with, was with the Joker. And I thought he was just a clown, which I thought was pretty cool. And kind of yeah. giving that, that warning of, Hey, things aren't always as easy or what they seem to be. Cause Robin seemed to think this is going to yeah. be kind of like a one and done and this should be no problem. And, uh, yeah, that immediately took me back to the dark Knight, you know, with Batman saying, Oh, one man or the entire mob, he can wait that. I mean, it made me that one line yeah. made, brought me right back to that. And, uh, little Ulysses has uh, managed to, uh, very well convince, um, some, uh, street toughs here, as I wanted to call them here <laughs> or some with two Fs, T U F Fs, T U F Fs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some guys <laughs> running a little chop shop here that, uh, he, the, uh, Caesar needs an army and, uh, they're wanting to blow a Caesar on a Caesar and, um, uh, Armstrong off a little bit. Like, and then I call this little snot nose punk. So, uh, he calls for Nero, which is the <laughs> line. And that quickly, uh, turns a tide around for uh, <laughs> the guys to uh, uh, be paying attention to Armstrong. It's been a little bit since we've got a chance to talk about Ariana here. And uh, through these uh, next couple pages is this is one of the first times that we're getting to see. I was going to ask you the, the last time that we had talked about the two of them, they had almost kind of split. So, I feel like we've missed a little bit, like the two of them are together it was, again. It was during the War of the Dragons, right? Yeah. was when all that stuff was. That's right. I think yes. that's the last major stuff that we saw with him. And he <clears throat> he couldn't really pay attention to her because they were like mid-date slash confrontation slash argument. And then, you know, all hell broke loose and the, with the gang war stuff. And he had to leave or they got separated and stuff. So yeah. that's what I remember. But um, 
I mean, it's good. The, uh, these two issues are de- definitely kind of set up kind of a new status quo or new problem in their relationship that they're going to need to solve. So, you know, I'm interested in seeing what they do with that. And, you know, I, something I, I have a hunch that uh, a lot of the people in the letters columns will also be very interested in in, the, in, in this relationship as well. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Arians up pointing out their problem, like, let's not argue. All they end up doing is arguing. They don't want to fight. Let, let's just forget almost. Let's just forget talking for a moment and just be content being with each other. And that uh, her aunt ends up confiding into Tim, like, well, don't tell Ari, but we're thinking of moving. Her, her uncle, after his poor uncle, her poor uncle, every time he opens up a shop, the KGB ends up tearing it down or <laughs> gun runners end up blowing the shop up. So the guy can't get a loan anywhere. And uh, so now here's like one of these secrets that Tim has to carry and go, oh, great. Now I can't tell my girlfriend that her aunt and uncle are wanting to move. He luckily doesn't have to say anything later on in the uh, issue. One of the cool things in this is, and I was surprised how a big of appearance that uh, Shotgun Smith makes in these two issues, which was kind of cool yeah. to see that uh, Robin and uh, Shotgun are uh, – actually working together and shotguns kind of resided to the fact of, all right, Robin has, has done more good than harm. So it's really kind of cool to see Batman have, or Batman, excuse me, uh, Robin having his commissioner Gordon, uh, if you will, in a uh, shotgun Smith and saying, I may need some help from here, but I'm going to give you the ability to make this, you know, pretty big collar if I can tie all this together. So what was your uh, uh, take on Shotgun Smith and Robin uh, working out of these uh, two issues? I loved, I love seeing them work together. And what's funny is that at the, at this point in their um, relationship, I guess, Robin knows exactly the buttons to push on Shotgun Smith and mm-hmm. know, kind of knows the answers to the questions he's going to ask because he knows Shotgun Smith is very hard-nosed, like – by the book, like this needs to be my problem or I'm not going to take care of it kind of guy. And, um, so he's like, I just love how shotgun like lays it all out. And he's like, well, why should I even listen to you? And Robin's like, well, I'll give, I want two reasons. And Robin's like, well, I'll give you three and here's this and here's this. And they're all County jobs, all in your belly wick, all in his wheelhouse, I wheelhouse, guess yeah. is the, the context clue there. But yeah, he's like, Cause that was shotgun Smith's biggest, one of his biggest things established in earlier issues is like, well, is this under my jurisdiction? Is this a County crime? I'm not going to do anything if it's not, under, if I don't have to. And so he's like, yep, it's all under your jurisdiction. So he like had all the stuff laid out to, to entice shotgun Smith to work with him. So I thought that was pretty fun. I like how Robin is starting to tie all the pieces together, how we can figure out it's Ulysses. Ulysses was Armstrong was the the boy general, and had thought the uh, general's partners might be Maxie Zeus, who is still unaccounted for from the breakout from Arkham. Robin's kind of piecing all these together because of you know watching the news report of a lion being stolen. So he knows that there's a playhouse that has had uh, costumes uh, missing, and uh, he ends up finding Ulysses Armstrong, and just like Robin would typically do is in over his head and ends up falling into a literal lion's pit with Ulysses and uh, Caesar looking down on Robin as Neo is getting ready to uh, pounce on the boy wonder. And I like how it <laughs> says in 30 days and uh, yeah, it's at uh, Raringo does a really good uh, use of contrast and uh, the colors as well with the blues and blacks and seeing Robin fall. 
And uh, it has a little bit of an animated series vibe, just a little bit how, you know, you would yeah. see Batman or Robin go into a dark room and you would just see like the just the subtle highlights of their costumes and the blues and blacks, yeah. which, which I think is really pretty cool. So what'd you think of the uh, ending of uh, this and Robin <clears throat> meeting the lion's pit, which is the closest thing that we're going to get to the gladiator and the lion. <laughs> yeah, I know. Too. Um, well, I mean, I really appreciated the fact that they did bring up like, Oh, and we'll see this by the end of the story that they bring up like, Oh, Maxi Zeus is still unaccounted for from the big Arkham breakout. So I, st- I, again, I like that they still have these threads from nightfall that are still kind of lingering out there that they can use to kind of get more stories out of, you know? And I like that it's kind of a throwaway line here, but that comes into play later. And I'm hoping it comes into play even later after these, you know, these two issues. And, um, yeah. And it, and again, seeing Robin thrown in a lion's pit, how 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 much more Batman sixty six can you get <laughs> when you have a cliffhanger that's like, will Robin get eaten by the lion? There's no way he can get out of this, now, you know. <laughs> so well, we can just get right into uh, issue twenty here. And I first I thought this says the Empire Strikes Back when I first opened it up it says the Empire Strikes Out. I didn't catch this till right now, but the writers of this are You didn't ch- notice that? No, I did. <laughs> Chuck Sis Dixiosis and uh Mike Anthony Raringoas and uh Stan Joe Warwishkis. It's to sound all very Roman in there. Yeah. Which is really funny. So, well yeah, like Chuck Chuck Chucky S. Dixon is, is the Scriba, Artifacts, Pictor, Scalptor. Like, you have all the – it's completely Latinized. Which I, I, I thought that <laughs> – And I like I like the <laughs> – you know, Jordan B. Gorfinkel is, of course, the the editor. But they in here, it's just they, – they completely go hog wild with, with, with it. And they just say, Jordan of Gorf, Vinny, Vidi, Veggie. <laughs> like, what, they don't even care anymore. <laughs> they just, they're just going for the joke. <laughs> the coloring on this and uh, – I believe it's Adrian Roy. No, it's not Adrian Roy. Yeah, it's got to be Empress Adrian. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. Her colors <laughs> in this, and again, on the glossy paper that nobody really liked at the time, which still blows my mind, the colors in the red and orange in this look absolutely fantastic with Robin yeah. dancing around uh, the lion here. And he's uh, quick to remember from the TV that he was watching from the newscast, the German guy that was doing the talking on it. So the one of the only words that uh, Robin knows in German is able to stop the lion dead in his tracks from uh, chomping him half to death. And uh, Ulysses' brother and sister, which I believe it's his sister, end up pulling him out. And they're very kind of eager, like, well, we can help you. We don't like our brother. And Robin's like, oh, I think I can uh, get away to find a way to help yeah. <laughs> help get your brother out of your house that uh, is kind of threatening your family here, which I think is really kind of cute. And they really don't know who Robin is. They're like, oh, are you like one of the dress-up friends <laughs> of my brother? He's like, no, which I thought was really kind of cool. Again, it's like Chuck Dixon finds a way to have add just enough cheese to it where it's not overly cheesy, where it's like, again, like I said earlier, I, I feel like this could have been a Young Justice uh, story here. So in Ulysses' bunker bedroom, I guess you can call it, uh, Robin ends up finding the Owls, what is it? Owls, Owls and Rosas Lizard Lounge. Owls and Rick's, Rick's Lizard, Lizard Lounge. Lounge. And uh, this is going to play into the story a little bit later, but Robin can see it's a small miniature model of Gotham City, which is kind of leading him to where he can find uh, Ulysses. 
and we get our first appearance of Alfred in Robin since he has come back. And like we had, uh, you and I were talking earlier that the return of Alfred happens in uh, Nightwing, uh, Alfred's return, that in between Robin 19 and uh, Robin 20 is when uh, the Nightwing little mini series where Nightwing goes over to London and picks up Alfred and brings him back. So Tim even makes mention that it's it's good to have Alfred back. Did you read that Nightwing uh, miniseries? I haven't read the miniseries, but I've read Al- Alfred's Return. I've read that. I I thought it makes me want to get the Nightwing series though. But I, and I think it's not collected in the the beginning of the Nightwing trade paperbacks. It starts with that, and then it goes into the main yeah Chuck Dixon goes series. Into the main Chuck Dixon yeah the first yeah I've always wanted I've always wanted to read those. I haven't had a chance to do that yet. Well, this is a a time where. Robin is quickly realizing that there's a huge gang that Ulysses is starting to amass, and he's hoping to get a hold of Batman, so he ends up calling Alfred, and Bruce is gone. But uh, there's only one other person that Robin can think of, and of course, it is Shotgun <laughs> Smith. Smith. And what's so funny is that, again, it's it's the humor, but it's also like... Chuck Dixon is so good at building on things that he's already established before. Just a couple issues ago, the last time we saw Shotgun Smith, he was at some weird, like, themed fast food joint. Yeah. Kurt, wasn't he? Yeah. And, like, the trash cans had, like, I don't know, it was, I forgot what, what, what were on them. It was, like, it was some sort of fantasy thing or something. It was, like, some kind of weird, goofy <laughs> fast food place. And now he's at, like... O'Shaughnessy's Big Irish or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So everything is like leprechaun <laughs> themed. You know, they have like uh, a Patty, Patty O'Melt is the is the burger name. And so he's so Shotgun Smith said at this place trying to order food. And I just think that's hilarious. A cool little moment is, you know, Robin coming down and saying, hey, you know, he'll buy uh, the uh, two Patty O'Melts. And the two of them are sitting resting against the hood of shotgun's car eating sandwiches together which i think is really kind of kind of cool and endearing little beat that you know maybe somebody else might have skipped over but the two of them are deciding you know how they're going to tackle of a situation which i think is just a a neat little yeah uh thing here and then robin puts together the alric the barbarian chieftain whom stormed rome which is al and rick's Auto, mm. no, not auto, but lizard lounge, and it's it's not as important for the maybe the reader to, to pick it up unless you know you really did your homework really well. But you can kind of go along with it and go, oh, I, I can see how Robin got to it. You've got a whole Roman theme here, and it all kind of plays in. Yeah, it just made me think of that one issue a couple episodes back where they didn't explain. Right. The, the, Robin had a moment like there was like, oh, I got it. And then he just shows up at the museum, but they don't just show you like what the train of thought was. Yeah, I think they even got some comments from they did. the letters. That's, and I think we even mm-hmm. said it in the show that we were like, is anybody else lost here? I don't know how Robin came to this conclusion. So this might have been one of those where Chuck's like, okay, I'm going to show you. Right in. I'm going to show you how. <laughs> How we get here. And apparently it's nickel beer night and bikini night at Alan Rick's lizard lounge here. And, uh, I, I love the guy's chest here. It says messing with the best die with the rest is a tattoo. He's got like a nipple ring. (laughs) Oh, he's got like eagles on top of the earth. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, and they do have, (laughs) it's so funny. It's like, it's bikini night, but like, they have like two women in bikinis, like that look very distraught. Of but they like 
should, don't want to be there that are just up on stage. But none of the other people in the bar are like paying him any attention. It's like so weird. And every like this, this the barkeep has a bat. He's <laughs> <laughs> got a, a smoking cigar there, and yeah. uh, everybody's got high water pants. Uh, whoever the guy is in the middle that <laughs> says, "Well, I got a passport right here," and his pants are clear up to about his chest. He's got his gun there, shirt yeah. open. <laughs> As cliche, uh, bad guy as you can get, but it's just, it's done so well and so bad. It's so good at the same time. And I mean that with the utmost respect. It's just, it's, it's just fun to look at all the detail in the panels, especially during the brawl that's going on. There's guys with chains and you hear, see bash, R, crash, chairs going through, <laughs> knives. <laughs> the, on the, pa- on page nine that has right to the left of the sign that says nickel beer bikini night. Here's another one of those classic things. Can you read uh, the uh, license plate, the custom license plate on the car? Uh, I could see something. I can't make it out. It says kick-ass, but it's a (laughs) (laughs) K-I-K-A-S-S. It totally makes sense for a bunch of dude bro like people at Alan Rick's Lizard Lounge. So you've got to imagine that the wagon is probably there, born to – is probably parked around – the corner just behind the sign that, that we can't see, you know, the, yeah. <laughs> go back and listen to our last episode. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Ulysses is a little pardon to say bastard, uh, cold blooded killer here. Uh, yeah, that's, that's what I was mentioning earlier about like how, you know, it's all fun and games and it's a fun issue and Batman 66. And until this, until like Ulysses like show literally shows up in this place has this brawl, you know, break out, and while that's happening, him and Julius Caesar, like, walk into the back room, and he just shoots this guy and just kills him dead so, and just, just to steal some money. Like, it's, like, really kind of a weird <laughs> yeah. departure. And that Julius Caesar is giving a thumbs down. Like, yeah. I, I thought this was going to be the point where Caesar was like, whoa, uh, I didn't, I wasn't signing on for this. No, he's right into it. No, he's, yeah. We're, we're going to shoot the guy. We're going to take all this money. And we're we're going to get the heck out of here. And they even drew the blood in around the uh, shadow here on uh Yeah, like, page. so if you thought, like, <laughs> he was, if you weren't sure if he was dead or not, like, yep, he's, he's totally dead. <laughs> Maybe the kid's a bad shot. No, no, he's dead. No, he's bleeding. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm laughing here. Um the gas that uh, <laughs> uh, the shotgun wants to use. Robin's like, are you using tear gas? Um, it's essentially like fart gas that they're putting in. What, it, what does he call it? Uh, he calls regurg- it regurgi- regurgitative. Regurgitative. So it probably smells absolutely horrible. Which, <laughs> the, the way that Ringo draws this smirk on Shotgun Smith, I think, says it all. And yeah. uh, the eyes that are all bugged out on everybody. <laughs> the one guy with the bandana on page 12, his eyes he's are so like, huge. And he's like, he's got little sweat beads. He's like, oh. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty cool. So they end up getting out. Ulysses and Caesar end up hightailing out of here. They steal a cop car. And for the second issue in a row, Robin has a passenger and uh, Shotgun Smith crams himself into the Redbird and says, uh, Robin says, comfy sheriff. And Shotgun's like, damn imports. So Shotgun's got his knees up to his chest with his shotgun riding in the <laughs> Redbird with Robin, which I think is just a really cool little uh, action beat here. 
and uh, something right out of uh, James Bond, Goldfinger, with Ulysses and uh, Caesar driving side by side with the Red Bird. Out come the spikes from the side of the car, which Robin's keyboard on the uh, dashboard, and he's driving, it looks like, 98 miles an hour in the Redbird, but it's the, all these squares like you would see in the animated series. Oh yeah. Which I think is really kind of cool and, uh, ends up flipping the car. And did you get a Robin two or a Robin one vibe out of page 14 with Ulysses crawling out of the car that is ravine down a hill and Ulysses is crawling out of a car and shotgun Smith has his gun drawn on Ulysses in Kind of, sort of the same fashion that Ulysses, oh, yeah. that uh, Shotgun did to Robin uh, way back in Robin Two. Yeah, like yeah, it did. It did make me think of that. And and how how, how could you possibly beat a a chase scene with Robin in the Redbird with Shotgun Smith in the car? Like it's 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 such a cool sequence, like really memorable to be honest. Yeah. And, because I just I love the Redbird so much, and to have and to have a you know three or four pages of like. A car chase scene with it, you know, driving fast, doing cool stuff with it, I think is just really cool, really fun. And I like how uh, Shotgun keeps calling Robin Jack <laughs> the whole <laughs> way through. Uh, not without me, Jack, which is pretty cool. We have Caesar, which I had thought, like, oh, I guess we don't see Caesar anymore. He committed suicide and jumped in the water, which we end up finding out a little bit uh, later in the next page. He pulls himself up from the sewer, goes down a railroad track, into a tunnel to meet Maxi Zeus, which makes me go, Ooh. I knew Maxi Zeus was in here. But uh, so I guess we were both right uh, in thinking Maxi Zeus was here. And uh, the last little sequence is Robin getting one of his first trophies to put in uh, the Batcave, which I thought was kind of cool. And Alfred kind of dismisses it, which Tim kind of reminds him that this was kind of Alfred's Alfred's thing. You know? <laughs> it was Alfred's idea. It was your idea to do. <laughs> so this book ends with Tim doing what he normally does, takes a secret passage uh, through uh, the Batcave, through his house, checks on his dad, and gets ready to get into bed when who happens to be in his bed? <gasps> Airy. So uh, in some issues, Tim would go right into the house, still in his Robin costume. So yeah, uh, he dodged Good a thing bullet. Get right all there. that off. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the next issue is Ninja Camp. So I I really liked these two issues. Just a fun, fun couple issues and. Uh, yeah, uh, I knew it was going to be something we could uh, cover uh, fairly easy and fairly quickly on the show here. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh, final thoughts on uh, these two little issues, uh, scenes how yeah. that you, you never read them before till today. Yeah, I never read them before. And I just think they're they're really they're fun, they're fast, <laughs> have a lot of fluidity to them. Very so, good. Uh, so, you know, they, I could read I could read 100 issues like this. You know what I mean? It's It's just... It's just fun. It's it's the character you like. There's there's cool moments. There's there's stakes. There and it's it's Robin. So I, I have no I have no complaints. It's it's just good Chuck Dixon stuff. Again, I think more more a couple more issues of the palette cleanser variety that are good to have. You know, in between you know bigger story arcs or bigger things where more major like status quo changes can happen. Yeah, and Ringo's art I think really lends itself. Uh, we've been saying it a lot in this episode, but just the the, the fun that uh, you're expecting to have 
out of these stories and each each issue kind of has this crazy zany cover to it where you're like okay i wonder what's going on in this issue or i'm really kind of excited to uh, check this uh, issue out and Ringo's art I think lends itself very well to uh, just some really cool you know one or one or two single issue uh, little mini stories like you said before we get to a a major event Uh, you want to do a couple letters hello anybody home (laughs) listen boopsy even though you never call and never write I still got a soft spot for you. So I'm sending you a fun gift. Airmail. And there's no use jumping out the window this time, toots. The plane of the future is going to make you history. (laughs) Hello? Hello, operator? I believe my party's been... Disconnected. <laughs> yes. So I've got some letters here. So letters for number nine, Robin nineteen or in Robin twenty four, and it's actually a pretty um, truncated letters page. Oh no, it's not. It's similar. I think it is kind of truncated because they put a big ad in there for Vector Man for the Sega Genesis, <laughs> but then they continue. They continue with more letters. On the next page. Okay. So, okay, so here's the first letter. It's from James Kiefer from Hancock, Maryland. I think MD is Maryland, and if it's not, we're just going to go with that. <laughs> um, it is today. Yes. So it says, uh, Dear Chuck and Crew, after reading Robin number 19, I just had to write. I love this issue, and here is why. First, I totally love Mike Waringo's rendition of The Boy Wonder. He draws Robin the way he is meant to look. Robin actually looks like a 14-year-old boy. I am sometimes upset to see Robin looking like a 20-year-old. Mike also remembers the split-toe boot design. I am sorry, but I am extremely picky about how Robin looks. I am 25, and I have been a Batman fan and a much larger Robin fan since the age of 5. Out of a world full of all types and sizes of superheroes through the years, Robin has remained my very favorite. Second, I really enjoyed the story. I like the way Batman had a cameo in the middle. I enjoy seeing Robin working on his own, but we know that he would not exist without Batman, so I would not want a total absence of him in this title. The General seems to be a very interesting character. With a world that has teen heroes, why would there not be teen villains? Now I have a question, and I am sure I am not the only one who has wondered this. Is Robin's tunic made of molded rubber, as shown in the Robin miniseries, or is it simple spandex? I have seen it drawn where it appears to be some type of cloth, but I must admit that I very much like the molded rubber look. Please keep the good work coming. Robin rules. <laughs> and the uh, the response is, P.S. Oh, and he's got a P.S. P.S. I would like to see more of the Huntress, if possible. And the response is, thanks for the kind words about Mike Waringo. In the immortal words of Tony the Tiger, he's doing great. And we're very glad to have him on board. According to the official blueprints for Robin's costume printed in the back of the first Robin trade paperback, Robin, a hero reborn, Robin's tunic is a molded 15 layer, a molded 15 layer Kevlar vest. The Huntress will play a role in our upcoming Batman crossover saga contagion and have her own solo story in the Batman Chronicles number four. 
So that's interesting. It's I think we're going to get a couple more. You know, every time something changes, like last last time it was like the paper. Right. People had to complain about the paper. This this time, like I guess because it was Mike Ringo's first issue, there's some people that love it, and there's some people that had a lot less favorable things to say about it. And uh, we'll we'll get into one of those. Oh, wow. This is this is funny. This this next letter I think will make up for uh, our lack of. Um, Terrence's panel, uh, panel art panel critiques <laughs> that we we would get in some of the the issues. So, this letter is from Mark J. Kulak from Nanticoke, uh, Pennsylvania, and it says, "Dear Robin team, facial expressions they stood out in my mind after reading Robin number nineteen. They are definitely Mike Ringo's strong point. When I opened the comic." like opening the front door to see who's there, very clever, and saw Ulysses the General, I thought, this is great, I love it already. Then when I turned the page and saw his family's reaction, well, there was just no way I could resist finding out about what happened next. Portraying Ulysses' home life as a domestic comedy, heck, even going so far as to make the basement his hideout, was a terrific move by Mr. Dixon. My three favorite panels. Number one, second to last on page nine. Just a shot of two guards, right? But Mr. Raringo somehow managed to give them personality. This is the sign of a great comics artist that even the walk-on characters hold our interest. And that's something that I thought, too. Like, yeah. I, I could see that scene happening in Batman 66 where, like, something weird and wacky just happens. And then, like, two, like, day players are just have, a, like, a conversation with themselves. Like, well, that sure is weird, isn't it? Yeah. You know, like, number two, the last panel on page nine, the silhouetted images combined with the colors in the background made this establishing shot just flat out gorgeous. And number three, second panel on page 17. That's the look of a mother expecting trouble if I ever saw it, which I have often. <laughs> her hilarious indulgences of her little general would have even Freud spitting in his grave. Also terrific was Batman's line about the Joker. I thought he was just another clown. It's great to see Bruce trusting Tim with assignments like this. In fact, I can't believe how smooth the transitions are with respect to perspective from this comic to other Bat-dominated titles. Having Tim actually working with Bruce, yet still dominating this comic, which bears his name, is an impressive juggling of characterizations. And I think we've mentioned that a few times on this. Like, this whole era, like, I, I need, like, a, I need a reading list. Like yeah. an order thing, because I want to read. I'm, I'm really interested in re- getting this whole Detective Comics run here, because it looks really nice and interconnected and just a, a really fun read. You know what would be cool that I'm surprised, and, and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to create another podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> but I I would love to see or read a Dixon verse because oh yeah, him doing Nightwing, Catwoman, Birds of Prey, Robin. <laughs> Uh, Detective, Detective comics. comics and seeing where all of these characters kind of cross and intermix. Yeah. It, it'd be really cool to read, to not read the major events and just read like all of the, mm, the, yeah. the standalone stories. Cause I bet that they would play off of and sing back and forth to one another very well. I think so too. I think so too, for sure. And then the letter's almost over. It says, uh, Mr. Dixon has come a long way from requiring Batman to be conveniently out of town in order to have Tim strut his stuff. Uh, well, we see that next issue. Goes, yeah. <laughs> he's just gone. Yeah. Uh, with this issue, Ulysses falls in line right behind Clue Master as my favorite Robin villain. Let's have the little guy launch a major offensive from time to time. And the response is, facial expressions. Mine, a big smile for their warm words about the the debut of Mike Ringo as penciler. Guess which panel from Robin number 19 was my favorite. Here's a hint. And it's the, uh, <laughs> the hint where the, the little kid talks about how they're going to rip his dog's guts out. And, and the mom's like, I'm sure they were just playing dear. 
<laughs> okay, so there's a couple more for this issue. Dear Rob, this is from Tom Gro- Tom Troop, age 15, from Vanderbilt, Pennsylvania. And it says, uh, this one's short and sweet. It says, Dear Robin Crew, Robin number 19 was the first of the Robin comics I have ever read. So let me tell you, it was the best $1.95 investment <laughs> of my life. Boy, this is like a kindred spirit with uh, our pal Jordan Valdez. Yeah. Uh, I love the art, the story, and the humor, but I especially love the caring relationship between Shotgun Smith and the Boy Wander. <laughs> Looks like you guys have gained another loyal fan and letter writer. Boy, with one issue. Too bad I didn't start buying earlier, though. I have missed some killer issues, Robin 14 and 15. Thanks for doing your job so well. And uh, the response says, no, thank you for doing yours. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Tom. Oh, that's so funny. He's just like... This is the first Robin comic I ever read, and it was also the best dollar ninety five cent investment of my life. It was the best. <laughs> it was the best. It was so super. Jordan Valdez is great. He's a good dude. Yes, sir. Yes. Here, here's one from Wendy Downing from Redding, California, and uh, this is one of the unfavorable, <laughs> unfavorable letters. Team Robin, my first letter to a comic, and it's a complaint. Forgive me. Boy, you know, the last guy was like, it's the first comic I ever bought, and it's great. And this one's like, this is my first letter to a comic, and it's a, com- and it's a complaint. Forgive me, but I felt the need to beg you to change Robin's looks before I just stopped reading this title. I just picked up Robin number 19, and I've got a lump in my gut. You've turned Robin into a cartoon character. He's never seemed like a cartoon character to me before. I fell in love with this book, got fully involved with the characters, and now you've killed my guy off. Please ro- return Robin to his historical looks. <laughs> the, co- the response is... I'll pass your comments on to Mike Wendy, but the new art team is here to stay as long as they want to be here. I sincerely hope that you will give them a chance to win you over as they have us. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And I, I, I think I said at the beginning of the episode, I really like what Ringo brought to the uh, Robin book. You know, it, it, he's not Tom Lyle and I didn't ex- expect him to be, but I, there's just, there's something very youthful uh, about his drawing the Robin book that I think that's what you need to portray in the Robin character. I didn't, I mean, there's, there's a cartoonish aspect to Robin a little bit in this, but I don't think it's, you know, an animaniacs, you know, overly Saturday morning. Yeah. It's, it's stylized, but it's not, it's not cartoonish. It's yeah. I think it strikes a good balance. It's, it's a comic book. Like it's, you know, I think it like you're right. It hits the tone of the series, and it, it works. Yeah. It totally works. Um, but to that end, here's one more letter for Robert Nineteen. Uh, y'all, uh, and this is from Katie Donalek in from Chicago, Illinois, and it says, "Y'all, this may concern re Robin Nineteen. The story is fabulous, fabulous as usual." Chuck, I can't wait for those witty one-liners that leave me laughing out loud. The kid's hilarious. <laughs> but I'm afraid I am seriously perturbed by the art in Robin. At first, I noticed the cover designs have become too choppy around issue number 17. I like Tom Grummet's and Ray Kreising's style. As a 17-year-old girl reader, and there are not enough of us, I must say, I like reading about a dashing teenage crime fighter. Robin's hair is finally the right length with a nice kind of tousled look. But now, under the art di- uh, under the direction of Mike Ringo and Terry Austin, his adorable pug nose has become sharp and harsh. <laughs> I'm not objecting to the total change in style, but please understand that in issue number 19, Robin's face became squat and unattractive. 
Most teens I know read for the art, adventure, and overall sexuality of buffed-out millionaires running around in revealing clothing, making the world a better place, all of which adolescent life lacks. I love Robin dearly and will always read it, but please get the art under control. One of the few and proud females, Katie Donalek from Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> but I didn't realize Robin had a pug nose. <laughs> yeah. So here, here's another a good response to this letter, and it says, uh, Being a guy and one who has always had difficulty judging whether other guys are good-looking, I cannot relate to your sentiments regarding Mike Ringo's take on Robin's visage. I am also admittedly biased because he draws the most adorable Ariana. That is not to say I am discounting your feelings out of hand. Your opinions are important to me, and other female readers also share your feelings. See the next letter, and that's the one I just read before this. It's just that I, you know, yeah, that's a growing trend. The ladies don't like this art. Hmm. It's uh, it's just that I remember the barrage of mail I received around the release of the first issue of the series lamenting the absence of Tom Lyle and being rather critical of Tom Grummet. I can't help feeling that the same thing might be happening here. You're bridling at a change in art styles. Still, I am encouraged that you have written that you are not dismissing the new art style out of hand. I have a feeling that Mike's polished graphic style and crystal clear storytelling that uncannily makes even the most static scene more interesting than the next guy's galactic spanning fight scene will win you over after a few issues. Please write me back and let me know. <laughs> that's good. So I think that's a good uh, wrap up of 19's letters. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whenever you get a new art team, you've got a, you, you're bound to get some. Yeah. You're going to get people that love uh, it. You're going to get people that, yeah. that hate it. I think we're, I think we're more used to that these days. Like, and it's and it's and we're used to seeing like a fill-in artist or or a or a, or a team of artists that's only on like a couple issues and then and then they're gone kind of thing. I mean, look at uh, Tom King's Batman run; he went through like it's like arc to arc, yeah. You know, and like right now he's finally landed uh, Tony Daniels for like for a, a long. He's probably one of the longest stays, other than uh, David Finch uh, at the very beginning of uh, Rebirth. Yeah, well, you got Lee Weeks too. Oh, yeah, that's right. Lee. Who's done done, but but they trade arcs is kind of what they yeah. do because the because the book comes out so often every two weeks. So and that kind of actually works on in that book's advantage is because like each little arc has like a different like feeling, a different kind of yeah. tone, and so it's kind of interesting because they match I match the uh, the artists I think a little bit to to that. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, but yeah, you know, I. I I can understand you know, coming in from the nineties and the early part, you would get a writer and creator team that would stay on for, like we said, uh, Ringo yeah. is going to be on for essentially eight, nine, like issues. nine issues. Yeah. yeah. So just about the time you're getting used to them, then Staz Johnson's right behind that, which right. is Staz is not that far of a departure from Ringo. I was going to so. say that, but it'll be interesting to see if people are, had the same we'll have to remember this conversation when we get there right. to see if people were like oh I like my Ruigo who's Stas Johnson you know just be like he's trying to copy yeah I like the old nose <laughs> I miss the non-pug nose yeah so the letters for uh, for Robin 20 are in Robin 25 and this is a truncated letters page it's only one page so uh, we should be able to get through some of these fairly quickly. Okay, so here in Robin 25, we have we have a letter about Robin number 20, and this is from Blandy Buchanan from Lake Crystal, Minnesota. And it says, 
Yo, Gorfman. Well, thank you very much. I was yeah. really getting into having Dick Grayson as Batman, and then you went and brought Bruce back after only about three months. I realize that this is a bygone subject by now, but I'm still peeped. Yeah. My gosh, what is with these people? Like, <laughs> I like the last issue. Why do you have to make another one and change, like, a couple of things? I, 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 I thought there was a Dick, Scri- Dick Grayson. Why are you telling a story? <laughs> I don't want uh-huh. plot and character development. Yeah. Yeah, but that's just so fascinating to see people like... This, you changed the fifth from the last issue. I'm so upset. I'm so peeved. Like, ugh, okay. But it was so funny because that whole, you know, Prodigal, it's a story. It was like part whatever. From when it started, it was like part one of 12 or whatever, yeah. right? Like, you knew it was going to be a self contained thing. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I was really getting into having. Dick Grayson is Batman, and then you went and brought Bruce back after only about three months. I realize that this is a bygone subject by now, but I'm still peeved. Oh, well, I'll get, I'll get over it. Now on to more current stuff. Re-Robin 20. In the words of Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, Hello, nurse. I wish I had as much luck with girls as Tim. He's 14 years old, and girls are coming into his room in the middle of the night. Oh, man. I'm almost 15, and I haven't been on my first date yet. Of course... It would help if I could work up the courage to ask a girl out more quickly. Actually, I did ask a girl out, and, ah, uh, well, we won't talk about that. Um, let's <laughs> let's move on to something else, shall we? Where has this general kid appeared before? I'd like to know more about him. The thing with the lion was kind of cool. I wonder if Dick got, any, got into any situations like that when he was in the circus. Wait a minute. Yeah, I think he did. It was back in A Lonely Place of Dying when he went back to Haley Circus temporarily. I got the trade paperback, don't you know? Well, it's Friday night and I'm sitting at home doing nothing and being so bored that I just want to go to bed that I don't have to suffer through it anymore. <laughs> so in the words of David Letterman, good night, everybody. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So there is. Oh, and then there's a P.S. P.S. Now that you've moved across the street from Letterman, will he have any of you guys on the show? And the response is, I don't know. <laughs> the general was introduced in Detective Comics 655 and 656, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, Blandy. Have you ever heard of anybody named Blandy? No. I haven't. I wonder where that comes from. It's a Minnesota thing. Uh, Blandy, dude, you sound blue about dim girls. Let me give you two pieces of advice. The first is get over whatever fear you may have about approaching girls to ask them on dates. Where women are concerned, the only real advantage guys like Tim Drake have over other guys your age is that he isn't afraid to go up to them. There's no shame in being blown off. Everyone gets turned down for dates, even Tim Drake. Oh, yeah. The second piece of advice, avoid advice to the lovelorn given by a guy whose name isn't Abby or Beth and is writing said advice in a comic book column. (laughs) Yeah, that was the thing about that letter that it started out with like, I don't like change. And then it was like, I can't find a girl. (laughs) Yeah, it was such such a scattershot kind of thing. But that was something that I liked about that letter that rather than. By blowing the kid off like he's afraid that girls are due, that he actually gave some dating advice and like if if Robin's <laughs> if Robin's your favorite character and hero, then try and emulate Robin. Like Robin's not afraid, go up and talk to somebody. And then quickly- yeah, and that is kind of yeah, that is kind of one of those things. Is like that's that's missing because we don't have letter columns like that anymore. That's a slightly more personal connection. To some, you know, to be able to like write your your favorite comic book, especially when you're a kid like that, he like the dude's 15, and he's like, and actually get the letter printed. I'm sure that kind of stuff is fun, like yeah. when it actually happens. This last letter here is from Chris Carnes from Naperville, Illinois, and it reads, "Dear Danny and Jordan, 
I've been meaning to write about Chuck Dixon's work for some time. Since Robin number 20 was the last thing I read, I'll tell you about it. For me, Mr. Dixon may not hit a home run every time out, but between here and Detective Comics, he's really in a groove. The characterizations of the villains have held my interest. I was surprised to learn that the Redbird was an import. I thought that all Bat-related vehicles were custom-crafted by one of Batman's associates in the States. I would be remiss if I didn't comment on Mike and Stan Watch's work. They certainly outdid themselves. The cover and opening splash page reminded me of those painted gum cars from 66. Robin facing peril, mouth open and teeth showing as the arch foes looked on. I was surprised how fast Tim grew those sideburns, though. I don't know if I like this look yet, but since Impulse got them, why not Robin? The new look makes him look older. I can't wait to see what develops between Tim and Ari. I'm hoping that Tim does not get caught in a compromising position. Somehow, I think that might come to pass. Uh, how about Tim working with Barbara Oracle Gordon soon? I don't mean having her help him just behind the scenes either. Thanks for listening. And the response is, somehow I don't see Tim consulting Oracle on his love life, so you must want the two of them to team up on an adventure together. I'll pass that idea along to Chuck. My guess is that Impulse and Robin both sport sideburns now because their pencilers, Humberto Ramos and her own Mike Ringo, respectively, share an affinity for the same art style, Japanese manga comics. You are correct that all bat vehicles are built domestically. To Shotgun Smith, though, if it ain't a sedan with one of them shiny red lights on top, it's an import. <laughs> that's a good That's a good um, clarification there. Yeah. That's kind of how I took it, that it was just a small car. Robin's a small kid in the car, and Shotgun's a lot larger. So, of course, he's going to think it's... You know, it's just we're gonna blame on the Japanese. You know, import car that, that yeah, that yeah, type yeah. Of, you know, throw away a little. Line. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, this is where we're gonna end this episode. So, on the behalf of Ryan and Rob and our departed Terrence, who's off in uh, Thanksgiving Turkey Land, uh, when you guys are hearing this, this will be released on Wednesday. So, happy Thanksgiving from us at the Drake House to your family, and uh, go watch a Marvel movie and. Uh, do some fond remembrance of Stanley. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, so no infringement is intended by this show. This show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respected copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguins lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because there are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at Robin ELTD Podcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. And as always, you can message directly over at the BatmanUniverse.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media. Also, over at our host, TVU. Leave us a review on iTunes if you listen there. It'll help spread the word of the show. Make sure you head over to the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.
the fashion show down 